All right, happy Easter, Psalm 23. Just to remind us, and if you're new here, to, to fill you in on, on the heart of this series. We've been at it for six weeks. And from the beginning, I've said that, that our goal in Psalm 23 is to walk with God. And we've placed emphasis on two words in that simple sentiment, walk with God. So first, to walk, to walk with God. So we've intentionally chosen to slow down and take it one verse at a time. In a, in a passage as popular as Psalm 23, you'll know bits and pieces of it, but I don't know about you guys, there has been power in slowing down and letting each verse just sort of marinate in my heart. I don't know about y'all, but Psalm 23 is different now. I understand Psalm 23 differently. I feel like I know David a little bit better, and I certainly feel like I know God's heart a little bit better. So we've been going slow, one verse at a time, and then walk with God, with emphasis on God's presence, as opposed to walking for God, on behalf of God, reading the passage and thinking about God. We've chosen to set ourselves aside and go, Lord, like preachers getting out of the way, worship team getting out of the way, we're just gonna still ourselves and we're gonna invite your presence, your spirit, to move and speak in this room. I don't know about you, but sometimes I can come to church and talk about a God and sing to a God that I, I barely even like cognizant actually exists and is alive and willing to talk to me and interact with me right here, right now. And so this series has sought to go, Lord, we're gonna still ourselves long enough and acknowledge your presence. Would you speak today? Would you move among us? All right, does that make sense? And so today we're wrapping up Psalm 23. We're in verse six. And today's teaching is gonna follow a similar pattern um, that Sam's teaching followed last week. By the way, how about Sam last week? <laughs> Woo, my headphones were hot. I was like, gosh, he is on fire right now. Um, but what Sam did is he walked us through David, then Jesus, and then brought it home to us in 2023. And as we explore Psalm 23, 6 today, I'm gonna to do the same thing. I wanna think through the lens of David first, then think about Christ, and then just share a word I feel like God was putting on my heart for our culture today, okay? And so, Psalm 23, as a reminder, David, king of Israel, most famous king in Israel's history, who also used to be a shepherd, as he sits and he reflects on, who is God to me? What is my relationship with God like? He does something that I want you to know is available to you as well. Because when you read Psalm 23 and you remember that King David once was a shepherd, you realize, oh, as he looks back on his story and he looks at the events of his life, he's learned a lot about the character of God. And as he thinks about what has God been like to me, he goes, God, you know what you're like? You're like my shepherd. And David, having been a shepherd for years, like he understands the significance. Oh, you're like a shepherd, I'm like a sheep. Like in the same way that I cared for my sheep when they were sick, when they were hurt, when they were lost. Like the same way that I called my sheep by name individually and I led them to food and water in the same way that I protected them from storms and from predators, in the same way that I gave them my attention and my care to ensure that they were provided for, in the same way that I drew near to my sheep in their darkest hours. God, that's what you're like. 
You're like my shepherd. And as he begins to conclude this really beautiful psalm, this is the verse that ends Psalm 23. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I read this, and before I did any of my study, I was just like, wow, what a beautiful picture. Shepherd out in front, me and the flock hanging, up, up. And what's behind me? Goodness, mercy. And as I thought about goodness and mercy, I just found myself getting quieter. I just see goodness and mercy behind, just like, hey, hey, good job. You're doing great. We're right here if you need anything, you know. I started talking like someone that works at a spa. (laughs) You ever been to a spa that takes themselves really seriously? I have once. I don't got money like that. If I did, I'd go more. (laughs) Hey, welcome. Hey, yeah, 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 you can sign in. We'll come get you when we're ready. Okay, thank you. Do I also have to talk like this? Okay, I will. Let's go. Okay, honey, come here, because Leah's there. Anyway. And that's what I picture. That's goodness and mercy behind me. And in my head, like, this is the motion I kept doing. <laughs> this morning, preaching by myself, I was like, goodness, mercy, just like floating. Gravity need not apply. And then I looked up goodness and mercy following you. I looked up this word follow. It appears over 140 times in scripture. And over like 95% of the time that this word follow shows up in scripture, it actually means to chase, to pursue. 1 Samuel 23, 28. King Saul returned home from pursuing David. In 2023, we Christians, we love the word pursue. We use it romantically. Yeah, I'm, I'm pursuing her. I DM'd her on Instagram last night, so like... I'm just, I don't know, I'm just, I feel like the Lord's calling me to pursue, you know? <laughs> In this context, pursue means a manhunt. Pursue means Saul is waking up every day, checking his daily planner. There's one agenda item, kill David. You know what kind of like attitude and zeals that's gotta be in your heart to every day wake up going, I'm gonna try to kill David today, <laughs> right? Like think about the posture of a man with this kind of zeal, this kind of vigor that he wants to end David's life. And, and uh, Sam preached last week about how you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies and how David ate at that table while being pursued, uh, his life being pursued by King Saul. So inevitably, when David writes, goodness and mercy, pursue me, David knows exactly what it feels like to be pursued. Like he knows what it's like to to run to a space and then hear, oh, Saul and his people are coming and then they run somewhere else and they run somewhere else and he's been on the end of someone pursuing his life. And as he thinks about God and his goodness and his mercy, he goes, you know, there's a good version of pursuit that I've felt. God, your goodness and your mercy has hunted me down. And you know, I've ran from it. You know, I've done things unworthy of it. You know, I've acted in ways that should have changed your mind. 
and cause you to cease your pursuit, but instead, they never stopped. Goodness and mercy, always catching up to me, could never outrun it. Anyone else got that testimony? Like could never manage to outrun your goodness and your mercy, O oh Lord. So surely, surely, this is a permanent reality. If you haven't left me yet, surely you're never leaving. You will always be running after me, mountaintop, valley low, rainy storms, sunshine, predators, or peace. Why? David is God's anointed. You got to hear me. David didn't anoint David. David did not choose himself to be king. Samuel did not anoint David. God came out of nowhere and found David in a field and said, you're the next king of Israel. How pivotal is it that David was chosen by God, that it was not David's idea? Because when you're in the valley, when you're in the storm, when you don't know where to turn, that's the moment you're gonna start thinking of yourself like you're the one that actually did it. Maybe God's been a placebo this whole time, but David has to call, you're the one who chose me. And since you're the one who chose me, surely your goodness and mercy will never stop. A verse like verse six has to arrive on the heels of a verse like verse five. You have anointed my head with oil. And he ends by saying this, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That word dwell also means return. So picture David penning this psalm, not in his hometown by the temple. Picture him somewhere running to and fro. I don't know if he's in the middle of battle or, or what's going on in his life, but he's somewhere not close to the house of the Lord. But if you know God like this, you understand David's heart. He goes, man, I long for the battles and the politics and the business meetings and just the day-to-day -day of being a king to come to an end so I can just go be in the house of God uninterrupted, unhindered forever. Doesn't that sound nice? King David, king of Israel, all his power, all his responsibility, all his notoriety, he goes, you know what I really want? What I really want is to be in the house of God forever. Let me tell you something. The more you get to know the Lord, the more you grow in your relationship with God, the more this thirst will become apparent. God, can I be real? Life is complicated. You know what's not complicated? I just want to be with you. Father, will you help me just be with you? I just want to be in your house. I want to be in your presence, uninterrupted, unhindered, just me and you, and Easter Sunday, as we transition to Jesus, is the permanent reminder that God wants to be with you, uninterrupted, unhindered. In Christ, we are reminded God also desires to be with us. As we desire to be with him, he first desired to be with us, that the goodness and the mercy of the Lord have no chill, no spa voice, the goodness and mercy of God are eager, are resilient. I had a friend ask me at the, at the teaching meeting on Thursday, 
What would you stop at nothing for? What do you want bad enough where nothing would stop you from getting it? Let me tell you something. That list is extremely short. Water, I think, right? Like, I feel like that's okay. Got to live. Food, provide for family, protect family. Those are the four I came up with that I was like, I feel like those are the only four that have a shot at making the list. What would you stop at nothing for? And I was reminded of Romans chapter eight. Do you know if you pose that question to the Lord that your soul is on his list? God, what would you stop at nothing for? Easter Sunday is our reminder that his response is you. I'd stop at nothing. Romans eight. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. And more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us now. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress persecution or famine, nakedness or danger or sword, as it's written, for your sake we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things, son, daughter of God, you are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers. These are some substantial things he's naming. Nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our God has stopped at nothing to just pour his never-ending goodness and mercy on you, child of God. Easter was when I went to Dillard's, got a nice outfit, went to church, got family photos. There was good stuff that happened on Easter, good sermons. I remember crying on Easter. I remember thinking about the goodness of God, but there's something in my brain at some point growing up where Easter became this tradition like 4th of July, like Thanksgiving, like Christmas. If you have yet to sit with God as his child, and meditate that he stopped at nothing to put his love on you, to clothe you in righteousness. God loves you. You you don't even understand like the first little bit of how much the Lord loves you. Easter is no tradition. Well, it is a tradition, but it's a good one. You know what I mean? 
It's not like a passive one. Pastels, portraits, people. Um, Easter is the reason I exist. Every fiber of my being hinges on Easter Sunday, that Jesus, perfect, died, stayed dead, and actually resurrected, and calls me son. The end of Psalm 23 says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And it's there we're reminded that Jesus looked at the criminal of the cross and said, today, as you die, today, you will be with me in paradise. Matthew 28, before he leaves earth, I will be with you until the end of the age. Easter Sunday is the reminder that our thirst to be in the uninterrupted, unhindered presence of God will be quenched forever. That this weird life where we as humans get to look at each other and sit in chairs and have things like computers and like, what is life? Like, this is the most temporary thing about you. That life with God will be your most permanent reality. And so I started thinking about us in 2023. Now I'm going to get to the sermon, all right? This whole thing, this was just a warm-up. Because on Thursday morning, I started sitting and praying and, and, and just reflecting. And me and Leah, we went to Miami uh, this week for a baby moon. What's a baby moon? Uh, it's just an excuse to go on a vacation uh, when you're pregnant, <laughs> your last vacation as a couple. Uh, and so we got to go to Miami for a few days. And, and any time that you travel um, far enough away from home, no matter what, you're gonna enter into a culture that's different than the one that you came from. And so me being the nerd I am, I'm just like noticing and I'm like, Leah, let's talk about culture, you know? And so I'm thinking about culture and we're having conversations and Miami looks a lot different than Nashville, but honestly, there's a lot of similarities in what they value, at least according to me who was there for four days. So take this with a grain of salt. <laughs> but as I was praying Thursday morning and just anticipating Easter and feeling to be transparent, a little intimidated, like Easter sermon on a short week, I don't like that. But I was sitting there and praying and thinking. And I started thinking about our culture, and this is the question that came up. Maybe you can write this down. What is the rock that your life is standing on? What is the rock that your life is standing on? And I started thinking about culture and this is just where my heart took me. So if, this, if any of this sounds dumb or ignorant, it probably is. But I thought about our culture. And here's some words that came to my mind when I go, what, what rocks does our culture stand on? And try to get you to stand on. Here's some words I wrote down. It was going to be up there one by one. Status, money, clothes, appearance, fitting in, belonging, having a squad, Almost equally as important as having a squad is claiming what squad you are not with. <laughs> like, hey, I'm with this, and to be clear, not with that, <laughs> no promise. I don't know who they voted for. Um, status, being known, having a following, celebrity culture, influencer culture, that's status. When I speak, people listen, and they respect it. Money, having money. There are so many rich people in Nashville some people just said, mm-hmm, you're one of them. There's so many wealthy people. How do you know that? Because if you don't have money, you also know that because you're surrounded by money. Can y'all agree with this? Money everywhere? Yeah, money everywhere. Clothes. We are so in love with how we dress. 
Even y'all like chill, you know, goodwill trendy dressers, y'all care so much. <laughs> Think about that. How does the culture turn goodwill into trendy? It's supposed to be helping people out in need, and we were like, I got an idea. I'm a broke college student. Fashion statement, you know? We love how we look. I thought about physical appearance. In the come as you are era, how aware are you of your physical look, your face, your body? We're so aware. Thought about fitting in, belonging. I already kind of made jokes about that point, so you get it. Belonging with people. And I, I humbly suggest that I think the Spirit just gripped my heart, and I started picturing Christ on the cross and walking through that checklist. Status. All alone. Powerless. Hanging by nails, not even his own strength. No following, no fame, no humble brag. No one looking at him out of respect like, man, isn't he amazing? Just alone, that's it. Money. Jesus lived his entire ministry homeless, living off of other people's generosity. Judas was the one in charge of the money, so you know they were a dollar short at all times. Come on, come on. I planned that, that's in my notes. <laughs> I thought about clothes. And right there at that coffee shop on Thursday morning, I was like, they stripped him naked and rolled dice to see who could win his clothes as he was suffocating. I thought about appearance. Jesus was naked, bleeding, black and blue, unrecognizable. Whether friend or foe, you would not have enjoyed looking at him. Even if you hated him, you're like, that's just disgusting. Sweaty, bloody, smelly. You ever thought about how vulnerable that is? You ever had a dream where you're naked in public and you're like, what is going on? In the dream, you wake up like, thank goodness that wasn't real. Like, no, no one else? Oh gosh, I thought that was a common thing. <laughs> I haven't either. <laughs> but I immediately just like, how much we love our fashion juxtaposed to a naked Jesus dying on a cross. Thought about fitting in who you belong to and how even Jesus' closest friends had deserted him that day. He didn't die with a support system. He was alone. And I just was struck. A death like that will expose every bit of deceit in your bones. If you are not who you say you are, a death like that will bring that to the surface. The real you shows up. If any part of Jesus was fake, this brings out the, wait, 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 okay, 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 you're right, I made it up, <laughs> okay? Let's just all calm down. How does Jesus take a death like this one in stride? He is God's anointed. He is God's son. Only God's son dies like this. This slowly, yet being that stoic and father forgive and don't even get me started that he quotes Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken? Go read Psalm 22, that's prophetic. He's calling himself the Messiah when he does that, not doubting the, the nearness of his God. Jesus' status as the word that was there at the beginning 
the creator of the universe, his money in my father's house, there are many rooms, streets of gold, okay? His clothing, robes of righteousness, his appearance, he will appear in glory. His belonging, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's why he's able to die on a cross, broken, with no following, all alone. He knows who he is. The cross is the richest example in human history of a man standing as firm in who he actually is, not defined by the winds and the waves of culture that's always changing the scorecard. Your identity, child of God, comes in Christ and Christ alone. That's the invitation to you on Easter Sunday that you would know yourself through the lens of who Christ calls you and nothing else. Even David, when the presence of God enters his city as king, he strips his kingly garments off and dances in the street, so much so that his own wife ridicules him for not acting as a king should act. And what he says is, hey, God chose me. So the response is, I celebrate before God and not man. Even a king who understands God knows that his only audience is God himself. The invitation to live in your identity as a son and daughter of Christ, pleasing no man, no standard, being Christ and Christ alone. The glory of the story of Jesus is that in a culture where it's all about you, We stand proudly making it all about him in a culture where you dress and you act your way into acceptance. In God's presence, we take on his righteousness knowing we're fully accepted and we're fully loved. In a culture of lift yourself up as high as possible, we get life and life abundant from lifting up our brother and sister, knowing that Christ left the highest, went to the lowest to lift us to the highest so we can lower ourselves to lift up our neighbor. Church, Easter is not simply a tradition. Easter is your invitation to sit in the presence of a God who knit you together in your mother's womb and has been chasing you ever since you took your first breath. He's provided our daily bread. He's restored our soul. He's drawn near to us in our darkest days. He's anointed us with oil. He's been the bread that was broken for us and he will always be with us. And so as we go to communion, we've got these little bowls that I'll invite you to snag and and pass around. They're on the inside chair, every other row. And the invitation's twofold. To those that follow Jesus, they call Christ their king, God your father. I'm gonna give you just a couple minutes to personally celebrate with the Lord what that cup in your hand means. That the bread represents the body of Christ that was broken for you, for you. Not for you to feel guilty, for you to feel loved, sought after, seen, cared for, healed. If you're a Christian today, if you know Jesus Take these few minutes and just thank the Lord and celebrate his wonderful love, his goodness and mercy that's chasing after you right now.
That Romans passage says that Jesus is right now interceding for us. If you're like me, sometimes Easter feels past tense. No, Jesus right now is going to work for you, communicating with the Father on your behalf. The second invitation, if you're here today and any of this is stirring your heart, if you sense God's spirit tugging at you, if you don't know God, if you have not surrendered your life to Christ, allow me to invite you into the greatest life offered to man. There is nothing like walking with God. There is nothing like a life that calls Jesus Lord and knows Jesus personally. And if you wanna talk about this life with me, with Gentry, with Taylor, with Muriel, with anyone in the back, just come back there. We're back there waiting. So I'm gonna give you a couple minutes. Reflect on communion, talk to God. Whenever you're ready personally, you can take it yourself. But don't take it until you've celebrated with the Lord what that communion means for your soul. I'll come up here in about two or three minutes and pray over the room and then we'll, we'll segue into worship.